Welcome to ICA Podcast 9. The goal of ICA Podcast 9 is to provide insightful information about the industry to members and non-members of Intercoiffure America Canada, the voice for salon owners. Each week we'll bring business, educational and inspirational topics to aid anyone with ties to the beauty industry. We will have a revolving series of hosts pulling from industry leaders as hosts and guests to keep things lively and interesting and make you wonder what's coming next. Now, here's this week's edition of ICA Podcast 9. All right. On the behalf of Intercofure America and Canada, we are here today and pleased to um, have this time with Gene Juarez, who actually was my first uh, mentor in this business in Seattle and had um, learned my biggest lesson in life with him, but uh, in this business. And uh, I was just back in Seattle and Gene and I were sitting there talking at one of his favorite pl- spots there. And um, he had so many amazing things to say that I thought I called Sheila and I thought it'd be great to share this with everybody uh, because uh, what he has to say is priceless. And uh, uh, we need to hear more from him and how he did it and, and what we can learn from him and how we can apply it to what we do every day. So Gene, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being here. And uh, um and it was a pleasure seeing you again, and I uh, hope to see you more often as I come to Seattle. Is, uh, and um, that's it. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. I'm happy Absolutely. to do this. As you Fabulous. know, I love uh, I love it in Quefure, and uh, it's been a big part of my life. I met some great people there. I I, I actually remember after, once we decided to do this. I remember. I used to work for Gene on the uh, um, in the Nordstrom location on Fifth Avenue, which I think was on the fifth floor too, uh, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, and I I walked into work one day, and I remember you had, you had the uh, little statuette or whatever intercoffure, and you were putting it on the front desk. And I asked you what that was, and you explained it to me for the first time. You were so proud. I mean, it was a, it was a proud moment, obviously, uh, talking about intercoffure and and. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't get it then, but I get it now. The community, how important community is, especially in this business. So um, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled to be a part of Inokafur um, and uh, grateful that we're able to do this and share this with everybody else out there. So let's get started. Um, right. I'm sure everybody, everybody has a different story. I know what my story is, but uh, what's your story? Why did you choose hair? Anything you could have done, because you're an incredibly intelligent uh, individual. Uh, you could have applied it to anything, and you applied it to hair. Why hair? Oh, I, I think, uh, Roger, I was attracted to it uh, because of the creativity. Uh, I, I just, I wanted to work with my hands. I wanted to do something creative. I wanted to do something that uh, I could earn respect from uh, by what I created. And I love making people happy. I, that's I'm still that way. I love making people happy. So, uh, well, what was the, what was the initial thing that attracted you to hair? Well, I, I think it was it was the fact that uh, I love the fact that I didn't have to compete with everyone. Why? What I mean by that is, all the only ones that I have to be better than are those people that have a license. Right. So, if you can just just realize how important that is. Uh, for instance, if you're a bartender, you have to be with everybody and anybody can be a bartender. 
right. somebody who takes almost a year of their life and dedicates himself to training and education. Uh, and then you have to be better than just those people. You don't have to be better than the world. It was defined. Uh, and I knew I had a good chance of succeeding uh, because people were going, going to school for the wrong reasons, most of them. You know, you, you, we, this is a little off beaten path, but I think it's in a great direction. It is you said you dedicated a year of your life uh, to learning this craft and doing this. And I think that, and you said most people are going to school for the wrong reasons. I think that's one of the things that really gets me these days, uh, especially, you know, after I left Seattle, sold the business there, left Seattle, came to Charlotte, and we started here uh, going to the schools and then now back in Seattle again, doing the same thing, you know, uh, talking to people. I think, uh, you know, people go to school for the wrong reasons. They didn't go for the reasons you and I maybe did. Um, and they didn't go for the mastering of the craft and dedication. I mean, dedication is a huge thing. I think you have to be dedicated to your craft and what you do. And obviously you were and I still are. But that that's, uh, speak to that if you could. Well, I think just basically a lot of people, and again, it's not the school's fault. It's just our society right now is... Uh, is in a different place. People are going to school to have something to do rather than going to school to do something. Yeah. Uh, Huge. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, that's, we've got to do a better job of attracting more quality people and, and, and really make, a know, make it known that there's a great opportunity in our business. I, I think I think that attracting quality people, I think, and with a uh, quality mindset, I think that's that's the key. And, and yeah. how we get the message out, I mean, that, that's my passion. I was trying to get that out because it's obviously been the business business has been amazing to me and my family, and just as it has to you yeah. um, and more people. I mean, we, you know, could have an amazing lifestyle and not be in a cubicle or in an office building and and uh, slaving a life away behind a computer, not against anything against any of that. I just, I, I couldn't live that way. But, you know, there's others like you and I out there that, that can be that way. But there's something interesting you said when we were uh, uh, together last week, uh, if you could, uh, and, and really, I've, I've never heard it uh, quite like that. And, and my friend and I, Greg, who was with me and my partner there, um, we kept talking about it for, for the next couple of days. And you said, that uh, self-esteem is a verb. Explain that. Well, I think uh, the, you cannot give someone self-esteem. They have to earn it. And the only way they can earn it is by doing something that they get rewarded for, that they are good at, that uh, they take it compliments from, that separates them, that they did something. It's an action word. Doing is action. You can't do something and earn self-esteem. I mean, you have to do something to earn self-esteem. And, and, and you earn it. You don't, I, no one can give it to you. All the praise, all the adulations don't create self-esteem. It's your doing that creates self-esteem. And people, you know that point. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And People with high self-esteem behave differently than people who don't. 
people who have self-esteem have hope. People who don't are hopeless. Say that again. People who, who have self-esteem or have hope. People who don't are helpless. Oh, beautiful again. And hopeless. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I think that's probably, you know, uh, when I was when I was with you, you know, obviously at, at that stage of my life, I, I didn't have that the self esteem, and in that sense, and and it was my ego, you know, that that uh, was driving me. And obviously, we all know ego comes from a place of insecurity and fear, and uh, it's not comes from uh, from a place of uh, you know feeling solid about yourself and feeling good about who you are and having confidence and believing in yourself. So. Uh, uh, it, that's why I think it struck me so hard uh, that night. That, that's got to be the, the second biggest lesson you taught me now. And well, it's nice to, come, nice to come full circle back to where we were. So I appreciate that. Um, let, me, let me speak to that, that word ego that you, that you had uh, brought up. I think uh, the great quote that I, that I love is that uh, that talent is God-given. Uh, be grateful. Uh, success is man-given. Be grateful or be appreciative. Ego is self-given. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mine got me in a lot of trouble. And, and, no, and, and, yeah. Ego usually you, you does. Watch, you watch me go through some of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's a. a yeah, that, that was cool. another thing you said that night that uh, Greg and I had stuck with Greg and I as well, because um, we're we're you know some people start earlier, some people start later, but I think we all hopefully get to a place where we realize that you know uh, that's the, the lesson that you taught me. It's more it's about more than just us. Yeah. Uh, and and when you learn that, then uh, you know giving becomes really important. Uh, because you understand that's the only way you get, you know, anything in life, you know, given you shall receive, right? The old saying goes. Um, so it's, and, and with the right intentions, obviously, uh, doing that, um, which, which the intention, which brings me to a question I had for you. And I, and I remember this because I, when I started with you and I, I came, I came to you from uh, Scott Cole. I trained under Scott and I came to you after that and um, started there. And I remember the uh, ATS, uh, what it was called, the ATS, right? Yeah, Advanced right. ATC maybe, and then you change to the ATS or something. Um, but I remember coming in there, and uh, the the uh, the the time and the effort that was put in, and the dedication. This impressed me that the dedication that was put into to taking these people that are coming out of abuse school to a higher level, and and in the salons. And back then, you were still cutting some hair. And I remember every time you were with a client, uh, it, it just impressed me by the level of, of integrity that you worked uh, with, you know, your, your craft and everything. Um, expand on that and, and, and what that means, working with integrity within our industry and what we do. Well, it's a, it's a, it's part of, of the way I was raised. I was blessed that, uh, my dad taught me to work uh, 
and we the Lorenzos were the best workers in, in, in the city. When you hired the Juarez, you knew you were going to get quality in your work. And we took pride in doing quality. Uh, and uh, in fact, my dad expected excellence. And so when I grew up as a Juarez, I was expected to be excellent. We all were. And that was part of what, what made us different. So I was blessed to have uh, parents that my mother taught me manners, and respect for women, and uh, and respect for family and uh, values, and and I just applied it basically to to uh, the hair business. So, so having said that, um, uh, you know, like for me, um, if we what we have, like say for example, a client that comes in and and uh, they get a foil done. And in the occipital bone, there was bleeding. I remember there, there, was, there was a place I went to afterwards, we don't have the name, I uh, went to afterwards where there were stylists that if that happened, eh, they just leave it. You know, nobody can see it, nobody knows, it's done. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that are probably out there that, you know, they, they rush through clients and they, and, and to get to the next one, not realizing the most important one is the one sitting in the chair, which is another thing you taught me way back. And uh, also, the, is if you see something like that, it, it's only taken away from you if you let it walk out the door. The client may never know. The stylist next to you may never know. The person who owns the salon may never know. But I think it takes a piece of you away when you, when you compromise your, yourself and your sense of integrity in that sense. Um, and I, and I, and I, that's, that's, again, that's, a. I, I, I always thought it was only one lesson, but now I'm learning. It was all these lessons I learned from you and, uh, they're coming up, but that was another thing I think I learned there that has stuck with me is, is when you do your work, I mean, it started with Scott and, and my, uh, the craft and, and, and kind of, uh, respecting the craft from a, a way, a different way. But then with you, uh, it, it grew to respecting your work and yourself in a certain way. Um, which, uh, you know, uh, has stuck with me. It took, it took time to come to fruition, um, these thoughts that you placed in me, but uh, thank God they've come out because I couldn't imagine uh, not being this way and not having uh, learned what I did for me. Uh, so thank you for that again. Um, having said all that, what do you think salon owners are missing these days, if they are missing anything, uh, that caused this migration that has happened over the past you know, five, six years or so into, into Booth's Renault, uh, that, uh, you know, um, some of these stylists are realizing that maybe the grass wasn't greener on the other side. Because we've had, you know, in Seattle, since we opened up, we've had, uh, I think now six people who, who, five people who migrated from Booth's Renault back in the salon environment. And it's happening here in Charlotte too. But what do you think happened? What, 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 what were we missing as the industry? Well, I, it's a, I have a lot of great sayings. I think the, uh, like you use the expression, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. That was a quote. Well, what, what I think people realize that when they look at Booth Rental, they see that the grass is greener over there as they perceive it. But the reality is they still have to mow it. <laughs> they still have to mow the lawn, right? Right. It may be greater. In fact, it's even harder to mow because it has more moisture in it. 
What do you mean by that? Well, if you, if you, <laughs> but reality is if grass is green, that means it's got moisture. The best way to cut a lawn is when it's a little on the dry side. Right. <laughs> so they, it really still is work. Regardless of where you are, you still have to put in the work. The place doesn't make you better or worse. You still have to work. And I, I, maybe that's part of what, what these people think as they go out there, that it's not as much work. Yeah. And as you, as you and I know, you know, if, if we, uh, I think statistics say if, you, if 100 businesses started today, uh, in five years, half of those businesses would be under. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, what is it, in, in 10 years, uh, what is the four out of 100 would survive? Yeah. Uh, so it's not a game for the, for the meek and, you know, uh, it's a game for people who probably this, the strong, you know, kind of mindset to believe in themselves. And I think yeah. that's maybe part of it is, I think the other part of it is, if, and, and uh, I'd love to expand on this too, is, you know, I, I think uh, uh, when it comes to stylists and this go, going off the beaten path just a little bit, but I think it's part of the missing part when it comes to stylists uh, and salon owners. What I think they forget is is the customer experience. You know what this, the the experience the client goes through when they come in through your doors, which is another thing. Obviously, I learned from you. It's coming up here, um, and we'll talk a little later about uh, some of the people that came to see you to learn that. But uh, that's that I think they forget, and I think for stylists, I think they might forget uh, that you can take a diamond and you can sell it in Zales uh, for maybe five hundred bucks. Take the same exact diamond, haven't changed anything about it, and take it to Tiffany's and sell it for fifteen hundred. And then you could take the same diamond, haven't done anything but change the environment that it's in, and put it in Harry Winston and sell it for fifteen thousand. And I think the only thing that's changed is the perceived value the customer gets through the experience that they have. Is that is that is that a correct assessment? And, and could you speak to that a little bit more based on your experience in our industry and stylists and salon owners? I think that's the yeah. You know, Roger, I think that's the whole, uh, the whole idea of what, what our salons uh, work like and what we, why some people get to charge more than others. It's, it's the experience, it's the show, it's the price of the ticket. Uh, so lots, if you go to Broadway, you've got lots of different prices of tickets, but what's the show gonna be like? What is, what's the experience you're gonna leave? And that comes from how the polls are answered, how you communicate, uh, all the little things that, uh, that go into the marketing and the branding that, uh, that why we have different salons that charge different things. Uh, it's like automobiles. You can buy a Subaru or you can buy a Bentley. Uh, your expectations are entirely different. Uh, but you, you're getting the value that you expect. And, uh, and that's, you've got, you'll make that choice. People will make that choice uh, from economic and, and uh, social reasons, what salon they choose. So, so, they, so how, do you, how do you think from where we're at now, uh, based on that, because that's one of my, my biggest frustrations in this, in this business is that I think that, you know, all this focus has been to, you know, this, this migration, I, should, I guess I should say for the past five, six years, has been away from, um, 
the customer. I mean, ultimately, you know, the that's in my mind, right? Because I think a lot of people that leave salons, and it's partly our fault as salon owners, maybe, you know, that we didn't we haven't done what we needed to do over the past five, six years to to retain these people and give them what they need. And these businessmen have come in and, you know, started this real estate play and then do the booth rental to pay for the real estate on top of it that they're sitting on. And and maybe we didn't do it. But uh, based on what you just talked about, I, I think that we're, we're missing the, the fact that what, what the client, you know, maybe wants and needs, you know, because I think hairdressers, uh, uh, we tend to or I used to, you know, as the old saying goes, you can't fall in love with your, your product um, or your service. You have to fall in love with your customer. That's another thing I learned from you as well. I mean, I, because I, uh, I used to be in love with my work, right? How, how great of a haircut I did and how wonderful it was. And, and if a client didn't like it, I would, you know, get upset. You know, what, is, what does she know? I just, you know, did all this and that. And I think we do that as hairdressers. We become the victims, right? When, yeah. when in reality, it's the other way around. But uh, uh, how, how, do we, how do we shift this down? How, how do we bring that client or how do we bring those stylists back to this mindset to understand and we talked about this the other night is uh, teamwork, you know, being a part of a team, which is the biggest lesson you taught me in life, period, is you can't do it alone. You have to do it as a team. Yeah. How, how, how does that message get back out, you know, to where what Vidal did and what Horst did and what you did and, and a lot of other people did uh, after that because they came and learned it from you? How do we get that message back out and how do we get the industry back to that state or do we? I think we have to we have to uh, put it back into our beliefs of what success is and uh, what we if they're going to be successful in our organization be specific about that. Uh, what is what's what is if I'm going to give you my name, how do I expect it to be represented? And be very clear on that. that uh, for instance, elaborate on clear, that. If yeah. I'm going to give you my name, elaborate on that. Yeah, well, if I'm going to give you my name and you get to cut under the GMRS flag, mm -hmm. or you get to do anything under the GMRS flag, I get to have the, I'm the one who makes those two faces. I know what my value system is. And I know myself quite well. And I can tell you, I'm easily satisfied with excellence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how simple it is. Right. So we're going to do excellent excellence in everything we do. Not perfection, excellence. What's the difference? But <laughs> let me put it to you this way. If you are perceived to be perfect in everything, you will be neurotic and no one will like you. Mm -hmm. And you really don't like yourself because you're too good. You're perfect. Right. So if I were to call, uh, call that being a 10, I'm satisfied with uh, eight or seven. So I got to stop telling my wife how perfect I am, is what you're telling yeah. me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That <laughs> may help. So, yeah. So that's... That's what the, what you, that's the reward. It's not perceived mm -hmm. perfection, it's excellent. And you know, <laughs> you know what happens when you try to cut a perfect haircut, right? Right. You, that means you don't know when to quit. 
right. you'll take something perfect and go root it like he can tell you. You have to know yeah. when to stop. <laughs> yeah. Knowing when to stop not. is the first thing you have to learn, right? Right. Right. Uh, so so it brings me to that the, the the last point for this segment. Um you know, Greg and I laughed at this that night with you when you said it, but we really didn't. Uh, and, and Greg's my best friend of 32 years, so we talk all the time. We kept talking about this for the next couple of days. Uh, and actually, he and I talked today before this interview because we, I wanted to make sure I remembered all, everything we talked about that night because there were so many great nuggets of knowledge there. But you said to us that somebody said to you one time, aren't you ever going to grow up? And your answer was what? Well, I, I, I don't want to grow up. I'm, uh, I'm always going to be in the state of becoming. I'm going to get better. I'm going to, I'm going to learn something. You know? uh, live life. Uh, <laughs> live life like you're going to die tomorrow. Learn like you're going to live forever. Right. I mean, I think you were a reincarnation of Confucius. Because <laughs> you have so many great things <laughs> to say. Um, but anyway, so thank you for today, Gene. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow for everybody. Um, and I appreciate the time you spent with us so far. Well, thank you, Roger. And uh, hello to all Edith Booker members and love you and uh, miss you. Right on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the ICA Podcast 9 podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more industry insight and information. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too and share it with your friends in the industry. Our only goal is to bring people together and share information with those that need it. Intercoiffure America Canada is proud to be the voice for salon owners. For more information about us, visit intercoiffure.com. That's intercoiffure.com.